Yesterday we had the uh, privilege in this church of being part of David and Claire's wedding. Uh, I've got two pictures behind me, just for those of you that weren't able to be there. Um, that's not them, by the way. There we are. Uh, this is them coming out of the church, and uh, one bit later on in the reception at the memorial hall. That's them. Um, I forced them to sit down so I could take a photo. Um, it really was a, a lovely day. Um, and it was a beautiful day, and actually, how, how thankful we are uh, for the weather yesterday. Um, you know, there's no reason why it shouldn't rain. Um, God doesn't send the rain or, or not, depending on us. Uh, he sends it according to his graciousness and his plans. And, uh, but we're so thankful that yesterday uh, it was blue skies when they had their photos outside. God is good. And uh, I really feel that he's got his hand on that couple. And I really ask you to continue to pray for them. Uh, not just now they're married, but in the years to come, as they perhaps even start a family, that he will be the real uh, center of their marriage. Really continue to pray for them. Um, I'll just ask that of you. Um, so it's really interesting. So we come into the end of our series on God's love. We'll be looking at God's love on Sunday mornings. And it's so fitting, isn't it, that we've had a wedding uh, the day before our final talk on God's love. And what's even more wonderful, from my perspective, is that long ago... Uh, I picked my topic uh, or, or my sermon topic for the wedding it was going to be 1 Corinthians 13 uh, and, as, and as it would, would work out wonderfully well this morning would also be 1 Corinthians 13. So let me start by welcoming you to David and Claire's wedding this morning and oh no sorry that's the wrong talk. Uh, no Mark Kim has already asked me not to repeat the same talk twice. Um, not because yesterday's was bad I hope. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's such a great chapter. It's good to look at it from two different perspectives, which is what we'll do um, this morning. So it isn't the same, the same sermon, I promise. 1 Corinthians 13, if you've got it open in your Bible, uh, would be really good. Uh, it's the book after Romans. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts, and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. And if you open up to 1 Corinthians 13, it would be really good um, to have that open. Um, yesterday, during the wedding, I spoke about the love listed and described in 1 Corinthians 13 and just how that, that love in those verses is a sacrificial love. It's a, a selfless love. It's a humble love. A love that seeks the good of other people first. A love that works for other people's happiness before its own. And how, I said to David and Claire, a successful marriage will be built on this love in these verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but this wonderful description of love that used at so many weddings wasn't actually written originally for weddings, believe it or not. But such is the richness of God's word that we can use bits of it in different contexts because the principles are so easy to apply in different places. It wasn't written for weddings when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a group of Christians in a place called Corinth a group of Christians who were getting Christianity all sorts of wrong, all sorts of messed up. Um, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to use it at weddings. It's wonderful to read out at weddings. But it's worth knowing that these verses were written to Christians who had forgotten the most important aspect of Christianity, that they had to love one another. Paul's writing to them about their priorities and he's reminding them that the greatest love of all that they need to reflect, that we all need to reflect, is the love that originates in the very heart of God. 
And I'd like just to read a couple of verses. I won't read it all because we're going to hear it a few times. But I'm going to read verse 4 to 8. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The church in Corinth uh, was an absolute mess. In fact, we haven't got enough time this morning to list all of the problems of the Corinthian church. And in fact, Paul himself struggled across two letters to deal with all the problems in the Corinthian church. But one of the main issues in that church in Corinth all those years ago is that the Christians there had a wonderfully great desire for status and especially relating to how spiritual they were and their use of spiritual gifts. If you're, if you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian, uh, we often speak of spiritual gifts. Uh, we believe that God will give somebody a spiritual gift. They may have a, something called speaking in tongues, uh, where almost an angelic tongue, some people describe it as, but it's a, a different kind of way of speaking. Some people have a gift of prophecy, where God will give them a word or a message, where they will say, well, I feel God saying this to you. Uh, some people have a gift of healing, Uh, These are spiritual gifts. There are lots of other gifts the Bible mentions as well. And these are spiritual gifts that God is pleased to give to his people for the growing of his kingdom, the building up of his church, and the reaching out into our world. And the Bible in the New Testament speaks very clearly about them. Things like tongues, prophecy, and healing are often mentioned. And the problem with the Corinthian church wasn't that they didn't have any spiritual gifts It wasn't that they didn't understand what a spiritual gift was and why it was used and where it came from. The problem with the Corinthian church is that they saw spiritual gifts as a sign of spiritual greatness. The more obvious the spiritual gift, the better the Christian. If you could speak in tongues, then you were were right up there. You were the best. If you had prophecy, whoa, you were like the proper Christian. The rest were rubbish. You were a proper Christian if you could have prophecy. If you could pray and there were healings, you know, that sort of ministry, wow. Hats off to you. You're amazing. I'm just right at the bottom of the pile. And they saw the more spiritual the person, the more spiritual the gift, that that meant the more spiritual and godly the person was. And they loved it in the Corinth church. They absolutely loved it. I wonder if we're any different uh, in the 21st century. Of course we're different, aren't we? I wonder. Are we more impressed with a gifting of a particular Christian or an ability of a particular Christian rather than their character? Are we impressed when someone's a really great prayer? Do we say, well, they pray so well, they must be godly? Or are we impressed when someone has a spiritual gift like speaking in tongues or prophecy? They must be godly because they have this gift. You wouldn't have it otherwise. Or maybe they can quote verse after verse after verse and we think they must be one of the best because they can speak and do those things and maybe we inadvertently ignore those people who have gifts that are seen as less impressive less important and what Paul's doing in this letter to the Corinthians is reminding these Christians in this church of something very important that we should bear in mind too that spiritual gifts are not given to us by God in response to how good we are 
but in response to how good he is. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 11, Paul writes this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message um, of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And what Paul's doing in these three chapters, in fact it's a whole section, 12, 13 and 14, it's important to put it in context, is what he's doing is dealing with that misconception about spiritual gifts and spiritual greatness. And he does it very well. In chapter 12, he makes that point that gifts come from God's heart, out of God's graciousness, and they are not a sign of greatness in a person. And each person has an equality and an important place in the body of Christ. And in chapter 14, he talks about the gifts of uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy and how they have to be used with order and for the building up of God's church. And he puts 1 Corinthians 13 slap bang in the middle of those two practical explanations about spiritual gifts. And the reason he does it, and the reason it's so clever, is because he's teaching these Christians that gifts uh, shouldn't be what define them. What should define them is the heart uh, by which they use that gift in the first place. The message is that what should characterize them, what is a true sign of spiritual greatness, isn't what you can do and how well you do it, but how much you love everybody else whom you're doing it with and to and around. You see, there were two great influences on the Corinthian church. There was the influence that came from the Greek culture, the influence where there was a great love of knowledge and wisdom and oratory and speaking. Another influence on the Corinthian church was that of the Roman Empire, the influence and the love of power and might and authority. And so the Corinthian Christians respected powerful people who had great skills in debate and oratory, those who could speak well and who carried themselves with authority. Yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that there is a third, much better way for God's people, that we should be defined by God's love. Christians shouldn't be defined by our power and our ability to speak, but by our ability to love. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, this... Let's see if I can beat Gavin to it. Yep, beat you there. Uh, John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, love is to define God's people. Love is part of the glue that holds the church together. Love is the reason and one of the causes for our world to be transformed. It lets the world see us as what we really are, the people of God. When we don't love ourselves, our neighbours and our enemies, 
the work of God on earth is hindered. When Christians stop loving, we stop God's kingdom growing. So this is actually far more than a romantic chapter. This is a very important chapter. And so we're going to hear it um, three times. I was going to cut it down, but actually I'm going to, we're going to hear it three times in three different versions. And, and every time you hear it, don't think, oh, I've heard that again. That's a third time. Why is he doing that? Um, but just let these words drill into your soul. Because of a lack of love hinders God's kingdom because we are the bricks in that temple. Then a greater love amongst us will be why it grows in our towns, in our villages, in our world. When we stop loving each other, then we stop what God is doing. When we love each other, then we are part of that great adventure and that great building project. So we're going to hear it three times. And, uh, and hopefully the people that read it will read it a little bit faster than they might normally read it, um, just so we get through it. So I'm going to ask Pat to come first of all. Oh, there she is. And uh, she's going to read it in the contemporary English version. So they're all going to be slightly different. So just listen to 1 Corinthians 13 uh, via Pat Whiting. What if I could speak all languages of humans and of angels? If I did not love others, I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What if I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? And what if I had faith that moved mountains? It would be nothing unless I loved others. What if I gave away all that I owned and let myself be burnt alive? I would gain nothing unless I loved others. Love is kind and patient, never jealous, boastful, proud or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful and trusting. Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop and unknown languages will no longer be spoken. All that we know will be forgotten. We don't know everything and our prophecies are not complete. But what is perfect will someday appear and what isn't perfect will then disappear. When we were children we thought and reasoned as children do. But when we grew up we stopped our childish ways. Now all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Later, we will see him face to face. We don't know everything, but then we will. Just as God completely understands us. But now there are faith, hope and love. But of these three, the greatest is love. So we're going to put the first three verses up, uh, first of all. And just looking at those first three verses, and in those first couple of verses of uh, chapter 13, Paul uh, makes some interesting comments about love and not having it uh, as you uh, use a spiritual gift. He lists four actions, four gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, faith, and great sacrifice. 
Uh, And these would have been four things that the Corinthian Christians would have greatly admired. And let's be honest, these are often four things that we greatly admire in Christians. But he says something really, really quite shocking. But without love as the driver for these four things, without love as the reason behind them, those four actions, as wonderfully impressive as they are, are actually worthless. Can you believe it? Can you imagine saying that out loud at a Christian conference? You know, if you've just given a prophecy but you don't love anyone else, you've wasted everyone's time. What a thing to say out loud. Paul was very controversial. He says, without love at the core, these things are meaningless. And in verse 1, he really takes it further. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Different version behind me, I know. And, um, and that clanging gong and the resounding cymbal, the other way around, actually uh, refers to two things that the pagans would have used in Corinth as they went, up, uh, went around with their pagan worship that have banged cymbals and gongs endlessly to try and do whatever they do as pagans. And so what Paul's actually saying is that when you prophesy, you speak in tongues without love, you sound no different to the pagans down the road. You sound no different to those who have missed who God is. And the message is clear, that amazing, obvious, impressive spiritual gifts can never be a replacement for a lack of love in a person's life. Love needs to define us, not our gifts and our abilities. I went to a Christian conference a few years ago. Ironically, I went to a seminar on prophecy. And uh, and as we sat down, there must have been about 100 people in there. It was quite hot, and uh, that may have explained the man's temper. But the guy got up and he started to begin his seminar... And there was a dad sitting right over on the left, holding a small child. And the baby made a noise. And the man looked over. That way, isn't it? And they said, he said, look, I'm prepared to deal with anything this afternoon, but not that. Sort it out. And the man and his child got up and walked out. And I switched off. Because at that point, I thought, I almost don't care what else you're going to say in the next hour because there's no love there whatsoever. He may have been having a very bad day. I'm not judging him. But the point is, without love, you're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The challenge for us is that if we lack love for each other, for our neighbours, for our enemies, no amount of doing the right thing will ever be a good enough replacement. So let me ask a question. This morning, are there people um, in your life who you just can't stand? Are there people right now, as I say the phrase, just can't stand, you've already got a list of at least ten, and you're thinking, oh, I haven't got time to get right to the bottom. Are there people that when you just the name, you think, oh, if I wasn't a Christian and I was allowed to hit you, I would. Are you, is there people that you just don't like, but you're a Christian, and so you don't let them know you don't like them, because that's the Jesus way, isn't it, to hide it. And so what you do is you go up to them and you think, well, I must do my duty and you talk to them. And it's like this. How are you? How's your mum? Busy? Busy week? Good. I'm all right. See you then. And as you walk away, a part of you pats yourself on the back because you think, oh, I did the right thing. I spoke to them. Can't stand a living sight of them. But we had a conversation. And so Jesus will be happy with me. I've got some really bad news. You're wrong. And when I do it, I'm wrong. Or if I do it, I'm wrong. Um, what should I say? <laughs> I never do it. <laughs> I'm a perfect example of everything I say. 
practice what I preach every, every Sunday. <clears throat> but it's wrong. Because actually, all you've done in that moment is lie. All you've done in that moment is pretend that you like someone you don't like. That's not the Christian way, is it? We're not called to pretend to love our neighbours. We're not called to pretend to get on with each other. We're called to love one another, to love our enemies, love our neighbours, and love ourselves. So if you're not actively praying that God will make you fall in love with that person, then I'm sorry to tell every single one of us we're doing it wrong. And you're papering over the cracks of a relationship that's never going to heal. Because you're as much a part of the problem as that person's wound you up. So we've got to be praying to actually love those people. There's nothing in this life that can cover up a lack of love in us. Uh, No amount of church ministries, no amount of services, no amount of Bible reading or prayer times will paper over a lack of love unless you're dealing with it. And we can flip this whole thing on its head and say to the world outside the church, there's nothing outside, there's nothing in the world that can ever substitute knowing the love of God for yourself. Our message for our teenagers as they grow up and our young people is that money, friends, health, sex, pornography, whatever it might be, none of that is going to cover what God can give you. None of that's going to be a good enough replacement for the love of God in your life. And we need to be passionate that we love God and God loves us so that when they look at us, they think, I want what my parents have got, or my uncle and aunt have got, or what my friends at church whose parents have got, or those older people at church have got. Because the world is full of things that say, do this, this will be a replacement for what you need. This is what you really need. But the church is saying very quietly, too quietly, no, this is what you need. And we should be saying, this is what you need. Louder. On the way to church this morning, I found one of these. Anyone's hands up if you've seen one on the street somewhere? A lot of us. These are little gas canisters and people suck them in. It gives them a legal high. Because someone's saying somewhere, this will make you feel good. This will make you feel happy. Of course it doesn't. It's killing our teenagers. People are dying, sucking this stuff in. What do we say? Oh, God loves you. That's good. Nice. We should be saying it much louder because nothing can replace knowing the love of God for yourself. Nothing can replace our young people um, knowing the love of God. So, Are you searching for love and purpose this morning if you're not a Christian? Jesus is the one you need. And if you're a Christian, start praying that he will help you love your enemy and love that person that gets on your nerves. Okay, we're going to hear this uh, chapter 13 again. Margaret's going to read it in the good news. I may be able to speak the languages of men and even of angels, but if I have no love, my speech is no more than a noisy gong or a clanging bell. I may have the gift of inspired preaching. I may have all knowledge and understand all secrets. I may have all the faith needed to move mountains, but if I have no love, I am nothing. I may give away everything I have, 
and even give up my body to be burnt. But if I have no love, this does me no good. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or conceited or proud. Love is not ill-mannered or selfish or irritable. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love is not happy with evil, but is happy with the truth. Love never gives up, and its faith, hope, and patience never fail. Love is eternal. There are inspired messages, but they are temporary. There are gifts of speaking in strange tongues, but they will cease. There is knowledge, but it will pass. For our gift of knowledge and of inspired messages are only partial. But when what is perfect comes, then what is partial will disappear. When I was a child, my speech and feelings and thinking were all those of a child. Now that I am a man, I am no more use for childish ways. What we see now is like a dim image in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. What I now know is only partial. Then it will be complete. As complete as God's knowledge of me. Meanwhile, these three remain. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Margaret. So we're just thinking of verses 4 to 7, just for a second or two now, um, that'll appear behind me. And this is the, the brilliant section. This is the section people really want uh, for their wedding, the love is patient, love is kind part. This is uh, where Paul really just takes that word love and just sort of breaks it up, breaks it down, and lists all the different facets and characteristics of love to make it easily applicable to his readers so they'll know what love looks like in any given situation. If you're not quite sure how to treat someone, read those couple of verses and just see what word fits your particular situation. It might be kindness, it might be not keeping a record of wrong, it might be about rejoicing uh, with the truth, it might be something else. But, you know, go home. And, uh, and if you're in a scenario that's causing you great stress and you're not sure how to show God's love, just look at that. Paul's broken it down for you. So you can just say, well, actually, no, that's the word. That's the word for this week. Uh, and really meditate on that and ask God to really uh, bring that into your speech and your action uh, this week. So he expands that word. Uh, and actually, those verses, uh, Corinth, were the very opposite of those things. You've only got to look across the whole of 1 Corinthians and into 2 Corinthians, but particularly that first book, to see just what sort of Christian they were. And they were not uh, that description of love that Paul lists. And the reason that this is such a beautiful description of love is because this is how God loves us. Uh, in fact, this is quite a powerful section uh, when you take the word love out and put in the word Jesus, like this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. 
He's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He's always trustworthy. Always worth hoping in. And always perseveres. Jesus never fails. This is the love that we have access to as Christians. And the challenge for us isn't do we believe that, but are we able to love the world the way Jesus has first loved us? In fact, let me read that again. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second, just so that it's you uh, in your own personal space. And I'm going to read that same verses. I'm going to put it in the form of a question. And just answer in your mind whether it's yes or no. Are you patient? Are we kind? Do we envy? Do we boast? Are we proud? Are we rude? Are we self-seeking? Are we easily angered? Do we keep records of wrongs? Do we delight in evil and are cynical about the truth? Do we let other people down? Are we not worth trusting? There's no one hoping us. And do we give up at the first hurdle? You can open your eyes if you want to. It's uncomfortable when you put it like that. Because I don't answer as well uh, when I do it that way. So how can I love like that? How can I love with those words? 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 tells us the answer. The tension's killing me. <laughs> there we are. It says, we love because he first loved us. The only way you can ever hope to fulfill these verses in your own life is if you know the love of Jesus Christ properly. It's easy to go through the motions, it's easy to be religious, it's easy to do the right thing, but when you open your heart and you know the love of Jesus yourself, when you meditate on the cross and the resurrection and all the promises of God, when you know his love properly, then you find actually it's no strain to love your enemy. Because if you've been loved a lot, then loving someone else is much more easier than it might be before. Um, So, before we move on, it's important to say that we can't love like that unless we've first experienced God's love for ourselves. And some of you here this morning uh, may have all sorts of awkward barriers between all of your relationships, but you may have barriers between your relationship with God himself. And I really encourage you to work out what that barrier is and have times of just great worship at home, great reading the Bible and prayer and actually just focusing on how much God loves you. Because you don't want to be like the lump of coal. Um, Somebody reminded me of this the other day. The lump of, you know, the coal story. The guy had stopped coming to church and, and no one could get this guy to come back. And the vicar goes to see him. And he sits down with this man who in the winter has a roaring coal fire in his front room. And the vicar says, you know, you need to come to church. And he keeps saying, no, no, no. You don't have to be at church to be a Christian. You don't have to be at church to be a Christian. And the vicar's stumped and he thinks, what do I do? And then he sees the coals and the fire all red hot. And he just, not with his fingers, with the tongs, takes one out and puts it on the uh, ceramic bit uh, around the side. And the man looks at him a bit 
abundantly, thinks what you're doing, and they both look at the coal, and lo and behold, it fades from bright red to black. And the man says, I'll see you Sunday. Because he realized that without being with his fellow Christians, that was him. But it's not just about church, that story, because your relationship with other people will grow colder and colder if your relationship with God is not on fire. If you drift away from your God because you don't drift close to him every day, you will be like that coal in your love for other people, and I will be as well. So we've got one more uh, version to read. Janice, if you could just read um, verses 8 to 13. This is the New King James Version. Um, So Janice will just read verses 8 to 13. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Everybody's shorter than I am in this church. Um, Thank you, Janice. The Corinthian Christians prioritized spiritual gifts and spiritual experience at the expense of love. That's where they put their their money, if you like. That was their bank account, spiritually. But Paul ends this chapter by reminding them that all the stuff that they prioritize has a shelf life. That when history draws to an end, prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues will no longer be needed because they're for this world only. They will cease, but the love of God will outlast them all, will last forever and so i'm done Um, our series on god's love is done but what a great way to end to note that everything else on our planet everything else in our world is temporary everything that we put such stock in is going to come to an end our bodies our health our money our families everything is temporary except god's word and god's love which will outlast them all into eternity And so over five weeks, we've heard all sorts of things about God's love, its strength, its power, its scope. And so as we finish, I'll ask one question. When you look down spiritually, um, you can do it now if you want to, if that helps, but when you look down spiritually, when you look down what your real foundation is, when you look down and realize what you're putting your uh, trust into as a Christian, is it this or is it all the other stuff? Do you trust more in your spiritual Christian disciplines than your love of God and his love of you? Are you more inclined to work at your, um, your sort of busyness for church than your relationship with God? What's more important to you? How great you look to others as a Christian or how well you treat other people as someone who reflects the love of Jesus Christ? Everything else is passing away except the love of God. And so as we finish... Build our lives on that. Reflect it, trust in it, because his love will outlast everything else. Let's pray. Father God, we we come to the end of our series, and 
And Lord, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear lots of different things. And Father God, we thank you for that. But Lord, we just want to lift up everything that's been said these last five weeks. Lord, we talked about how unbreakable your love was. We talked about the scope, the height, and the depth. We talked to Lord, in one week, how you loved us when we even hated you. Lord, we had that video of Stephen Fry. And Lord, uh, the utter disdain he has for you. And how, as he hates you, Lord, you love him. And Lord, when we were no different, you loved us. Lord, we thank you that your love is so great that even when we deserve punishment for our sin, Lord, you liberated us in Jesus Christ. You love us when we don't deserve it. Lord, you love us when we didn't want it. And Lord, you love us, Lord, when everything else fails. Your love never fails. It never gives up. never runs out on me. Lord, may we trust in your love again and again and again. But Lord, perhaps in terms of our daily lives, uh, not more importantly, but as important, May we learn to love everybody else the way you first loved us. But may we leave this place determined to know Jesus' love more and more and more so we can show it to other people again and again and again. May we seem so different. May our love for other people be so loud that canisters of happy gas are the last thing on people's mind because they want what we've got. May we be loud in our love for each other and our love for you. And I commit this all in Jesus' name. Amen.